Welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Welcome, dear listeners, beautiful community of seekers to this week's episode of High Energy Health. Thank you so much for tuning in with us here today and sharing this space with us. I am Miriam Paninsky. I have the honor of being the guest host of this amazing podcast for Dawson Church. And today I have the special honor to speak with the glorious Spring Washam. And this conversation, I just said, has been looking forward to and desiring for so long. And actually last year at the same time, didn't work out because you spring actually were just on your writing recluse or retreat to finish this book in the Sierra Nevada and you actually talk about this in your book too. Spring, I am just overjoyed you're here with us today. Oh, well, I am so happy to be here and the timing is perfect now. Yes, it is perfect. So I just wanted to say a few words about Spring for those of you who should get to know her as soon as possible. Spring is considered a pioneer in bringing mindfulness-based meditation practices to diverse communities. And Spring Washam is a very well-known teacher, a healer, a visionary leader. Leader, she's based in Oakland, California. And you may know her book, A Fierce Heart, Finding Strength, Courage, and Wisdom in Any Moment. And today we will talk about her new amazing book, The Spirit of Harriet Tubman, Awakening from the Underground, which just came out and about which we will talk about here today, hopefully in depth. Spring is one of the founding teachers at the East Bay Meditation Center, an organization that offers Buddhist teachings with attention to social action and multiculturalism. And she's a member of the Teachers Council at the Spirit Rock Meditation Center, offering teachings on Buddhist philosophy, insight, meditation, and loving kindness practices. And Spring is also a founder of the Lotus Vine Journeys, one-of-a-kind organization that blends indigenous healing practices with Buddhist wisdom for transformative retreats in South Africa. And she has practiced and studied Buddhist philosophy in both the Theravada and the Tibetan schools of Buddhism since 1999. And she's also a shamanic practitioner and has studied indigenous healing practices since 2008. And before we go into that, I just want to preface this on a personal note by saying how profoundly this book has touched me and also how blessed and grateful I feel about this offering, this chance for growth, actually, for all of us who are gifting with this book. It is not an easy read. It is not a, a light read. It is also a light and a joyous read, but there, it's just in, hopefully in, uncover a lot of this. And I also want to say that I'm not sure if we'll be able to pay tribute to the gravity of this text and some things that should be given way more space for elaboration, we won't even be able to touch upon. But the intention of this conversation is to open the space for more exploration in, in our audience and just an encouragement to read this amazing book. And I want to 
say that Lama Rod Owens contributed the foreword for this book. And by the way, I told you I'm such a huge admirer of his work as well. And Radical Dharma, as well as Love and Rage, have been such an essential piece of my research as well. And he writes in this text, Spring has consented to allow Mother Harriet to speak through her to offer the world a vital message of hope as well as a call to action. And I'd very much like us to later touch upon about this coalescence between surrendering trust contemplation with action and activism. So I'd like to talk about this. But he also shares, Spring, how difficult the writing and the channeling of this text was. And you also write how writing this book has transformed you. You actually write, it has taken me on a heart-trending, mind-bending journey. And in the opening chapter, you share the incredibly painful momentum in our history, actually, that was part of the beginning of this book, the murder, as you call it, the modern day lynching of George Floyd, and how you have already perceived this energy the day prior. Would you be open to sharing, and I know I'm not starting on a light note, but I wondered if you would be open to sharing with us a bit about this process and also the challenges to use this whimsical word. Sure, sure. Just one quick correction. My retreats are in South America. I would love to go ah, to South Africa. So, so, sorry. Yeah, just <laughs> everybody in Costa Rica. <laughs> right, um, Peru and Costa Rica. <laughs> yeah, you know, it is. I do start off on this note because the whole evolution of Harriet appearing really was in May of 2020. You know, I was not a big Harriet devotee before. I mean, of course, I loved Harriet Tubman, who doesn't? But the connection really happened in May of 2020, maybe even a few weeks prior, where I felt right before I had this, I talk about this visionary dream. That's how I start the chapter where Harriet, I'm running and I'm holding on to something and I did, it was burning my hands. It was such a vivid experience. It was just a full mind, body, heart. all my senses were engaged in this experience and that Harriet was rescuing me, you know, and I was being chased by these energies and that was my experience in the dream. And then a few days later, George Floyd was murdered. So I felt like I was being prepared in some way because, you know, as a person who leads communities, I also felt like I was flattened by that experience. I would think of summer of 2020, May through September as like a portal opened in our, our consciousness, like it cracked, you know? And I really think it was compassion emerged, a force mm -hmm. of love and compassion and waking up that people were finally seeing experiences that had been around, but they hadn't seen it in that way before. And there was a global reaction that I feel like all of us felt in some form or fashion. It was hard of not to be having an uh, awakening experience during that time, at least to mm -hmm. some degree. But that's how it started with Harriet and I. She was started to come through holding my hand and walking with me so I could find some sense of power to try to help the community in some way. And I, I mean, bigger than the Oakland community. I mean, like a global, mm. how do I be a teacher to rise when I'm I feel flattened. I'm in the fetal position. <laughs> like, I feel like I don't know how to tackle this. What am I going to say? What, are, you know, I'm so affected by these events as well. I didn't feel like I was, I didn't have that clarity that I usually have to respond. So I feel mm -hmm. like Harriet, when that crack in the matrix happened, Harriet flew in. <laughs> 
Harriet flew in. And I actually, I want to also talk about something that you just mentioned is the compassion, but I want to touch upon it a little bit later. You, in the beginning of the book, you kind of write, and of course that was also throughout the whole journey is kind of like this, also this journey through your own self-doubt and and all of this. And, and you actually also mentioned in the beginning that you also hint that you were fearing this risk of stirring controversy, mm-hmm. of stirring reaction. Um, would you say more about that or what brought up that those fears? Well, at the time, I, you know, I don't consider myself a scholar. And I felt as if this book needed a scholar, like this is not, I write spiritual books. I'm, you know, I've studied Buddhist philosophy. I lead shamanic retreats. I kept thinking, Harriet, no, you need to call Angela Davis. You need to call Ta-Nehisi Coates, another right. I'm like, I'm not the one. I, I'm writing a spiritual book. And at the time, I didn't realize that I had the capacity. I didn't know. It was like jumping off a cliff. And I worried that I wouldn't do Harriet Tubman, one of these iconic ancestors that everybody knows. I thought maybe I wouldn't do a good job or I couldn't do it. And I was filled with so much doubt. It was very painful. I didn't, mm-hmm. I tried to talk Harriet Tubman and my publisher out of it. I was was like, no way, you know, they came to me. I had no, they were asking me and I was, I kept thinking I'm not the one, but as you see through the journey of the chapters, I kind of build up myself over the relationship builds myself up with over the months of the writing and the journeys and the process Mm -hmm. of understanding myself through Harriet Tubman, Mm -hmm. through Miss Harriet Tubman or Mother Harriet, however you want to refer to her. Yeah, I started to grow, but it was a real battle of confidence. I didn't want to mess up. That was my, and I didn't want to do anything that would create controversy because the book is a conversation with this ancestor. And that for a lot of people, they don't always know how to wrap their head around that you know, what does this mean? And I was as surprised as anyone. This is it's gonna be the rest of my life processing this experience, these ongoing experiences and this journey. This is a lifetime I've signed on for understanding and exploration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the point of conversation, I just want to mention to the reader that this book really is a conversation also as a piece of text is that you spring are actually voting, you're quoting the what I maybe can be called the channel voice of Miss Topman's spirit and italics throughout the text in and the first person speaking to you as a child addressing you as child, which is incredibly touching. So I just want to mention this to the reader to just get an, a little bit of a grasp for the text itself, a feel to the text itself and you say I'm not a scholar and I think that um, it's important to mention that this book is not meant to be another historical or scholarly attempt I feel it's important because it's a book that is actually telling what cannot be told by history what cannot be told otherwise it's a book that writes into the gaps uh, that writes the gaps the untold stories how do you feel about that Yeah, and that is exactly it. One of the things that's interesting is I am completely accurate on all the historical notes. It's 12 chapters, Harriet's Mm -hmm. life in these 12 chapters to the, the major pieces and whatever she wanted to touch on each chapter. But yeah, and you know, Harriet kept saying that I don't need a book about the historical details. I need a book about my heart and what would be a message for people today. What do the people need now? What do they need to know now? So that gave me some sense of ease. However, the whole thing, it it still caught me off guard. I'm still going, what? (laughs) How 
this is happening yeah. even to the, even now and I I, yeah. I read it myself I'm like what are we doing Harriet and you know it's don't go into your mind go into your heart this is ancestor work this is connecting to our ancestors and I really want to deposit right here at the beginning of this conversation that it's important for the readers to know that Harriet Tubman yes is my ancestor because we're connected as being someone who has African-American ancestry but Harriet is a global ancestor feels connected to every single being as an ancestor kind of like a primordial ancestor similar to how she described mm -hmm. her own grandmother but she's everybody's ancestor <laughs> so just to relate to it like that i think is easier to understand in some way yes and i really love that you mentioned that and that really comes through in the book i also want to say it's like it's, it's embracing kind of all of us and you are also making this effort which is really beautiful especially in these times right now and um i also want to say that I, we also have to acknowledge that history especially in this country does not teach a lot of what was before the middle passage first of all the rich culture the lives of people were torn from or stolen from in africa and also it does not teach about the passage itself it doesn't teach about the the ships these are untold stories because there are no accounts well hardly any account at least not a lot from the people who were stolen but but this book is an account of this pain that is not usually spoken. And I think that's a very crucial detail about this work bring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think you're really referring to chapter three, where we we get into talking about Harriet Tubman, and she wants me to know her grandmother. Mm -hmm. I was so scared, you know, I was like, Oh, no, we're about to, you know, her grandmother came on a slave ship from likely somewhere in West Africa, Ghana has claimed Harriet as their own and her grandmother. But yeah, it's it's not easy. And I think it's interesting that this book is coming out at a time where more suppression of African American history is being, you know, these laws being enacted are challenging the truth of these stories, the dates, the times, you know, we see that it's not easy to reconcile our history here in this country and mm -hmm. the founding. And it's something though, I think it has a liberatory aspect to it, although it doesn't feel like that when you're opening up a book and you're gonna read something on a certain chapter. But I think to turn toward the suffering is to understand mm -hmm. ourselves, the context. It actually does bring liberation. Yes. It does bring a kind of power, it restores something. It's like, yes. okay, so let's get to the truth. Let's understand why things are the way they are now. In order to understand that, you have to understand what happened. Mm -hmm. It's not just to beat ourselves up or to, to kind of create more trauma. Actually, the trauma is already there. It's to understand it. Even if you don't mm -hmm. feel you're a part of it, if you're living in this country, you're, you're mm -hmm. affected in some way by the racial wound that is so mm -hmm. pervasive here. It's in the air. It's, it's just going to accelerate over this next, you know, with politics and everything. So you're already in the fields of it. Why not try to bring healing to it? That's also one of the messages of Harriet's book that I felt she was so optimistic about it. She would say, you all can do this. This could be the generation that actually heals this. And I go on to talk about ways later in the chapter on the new allies and the abolitionist part that I talk about are ways that we can heal it. But 
There was a lot of hope and optimism around Harriet Tubman's messages. I felt she had great faith in this new generation. In fact, like tremendous. So it allowed me to keep going because I knew I was going somewhere. You know, if I was just going down the rabbit hole, I was like, uh, I, I've already been down here. No, 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 no. But it was like, no, trust me, you know, we got to go down to go up. And this is all a part of a bigger story. And it's all about trying to heal this, not just to dig it out for that sake. I think that's important for people to know. I think there's fear in going here because it feels like yes. there's no doubt. Exactly. And I think that counts to all deeper pain and trauma, but especially to this one, it feels like if I go into this, there's like, a, this is a, a never ending ocean of pain I'm diving into, but it is not. It's a diving through it. And I think you're, you're describing this very beautifully. And it's, that's a really, really important note. There is this miraculous moment that you share. And I want to ask you if you can share a little bit about that moment, because it was so touching when Miss Tupman's spirit first emerged and gave you these instructions. And you said, you know, at first you were like, Don't, please no, choose someone else. Please go somewhere else. Please turn to Angela Davids. Could you share a little bit about that moment? Yeah, that was such a powerful moment. That was the only time that it was that strong. I feel like Harriet made more of an in-person visit because my publisher had asked me to write the book. And I was like, I don't think so. You know, my mind was not, I didn't feel at all confident. So it was this magical night where a friend of mine had come over and we'd been saying these bodhisattva prayers, reading out of this text, this classic Buddhist text that was like saying, May, we were praying for compassion. I mean, you think this is really deep in the pandemic, really deep in the quarantine. I was praying for humanity a lot of nights. And so we had done that together. She walked home, she lived down the street and there was already that energy in the field, like this kind of, I don't know, something just very beautiful that night. And then I was reading another book that I'd ordered all these books about Harriet, anything I could get my hands on at that moment I was reading. Yeah, Harriet's image started to appear and I, I felt it first, the room changed. And I describe it as vividly and I try to be as honest and as accurate as I possibly can so the reader can also know what I was experiencing. It happened this and this high pitch ringing and then goosebumps and then the room got hot and then Harriet's image appears. And it was obviously not a physical body. It was a spirit body. You know, I didn't, it was different than mine, but it was clearly Harriet Tubman. And that is the night where she really gave the task and then unveiled that I had made this decision to do this work long before I arrived and I now was the time and showed me all these things about my life that it was all like things I needed to make connections around that were leading me up to that moment that I hadn't put together. It was like a, you know, a jigsaw puzzle, but you're missing 10 pieces. So it's not really complete, but then somebody comes and puts the 10, you're like, okay, yeah, now I see it. That was kind of what she was doing. And then it was, would I sign on to do it? Would I take it on and be willing to undergo whatever came up? So it was one that still in my life will remain one of the most powerful experiences. I would say mm -hmm. I've had thus far living on the planet mm -hmm. other ones, but yeah, that was yeah. a powerful, powerful experience to say the least. 
it it really feels that way and also to the reader and it feels like the decision that you made was not a one part decision i feel like you had you had to make this decision over and over and over again until you finished this book and it feels like you're still making that choice and we're all still making that choice to show up to this to our dharma really yeah thank you so much for sharing that moment with us also here we will be right back we'll just go into a very short commercial break and we'll be right back with this tremendous conversation with spring washam thank you Welcome back to today's episode of the High Energy Health Podcast radio show. I'm Marian Paninski today in conversation with the amazing Spring Washam. And we are just talking about her tremendous new book, The Spirit of Harriet Tubman Awakening from the Underground. Spring was just sharing that moment when Ms. Tubman's spirit emerged and really handed over that task, Dharma, really. And and so the other question I had also, and I think that's connected to that, at the end of most chapters, you are, you invite the reader to pray and you offer prayers. What, you mentioned prayers actually several times already in this conversation today. What does prayer mean to you? And especially in the context of this book, what is the power of prayer for you? Well, you know, as a spiritual practitioner and somebody who has, you know, been studying my whole life, different schools of thought from psychology to Buddhist psychology to affirmation, it's kind of what I envisioned people when they were reading this book is that it's a journey. And I, for me, what our prayers are alignment. It's like the law of attraction. I believe in that, what we put our mind on it it manifests. So when I put out a heartfelt prayer and I am honoring these ancestors or I am visualizing them well, or I'm sending my love to try to bridge, you know, gaps, or I'm putting out compassion for the benefit of all being, I believe that has tremendous value. And when we're doing it in a meditative way, when we're saying, okay, I'm going to put this down with Harriet here, I'm going to offer this prayer. I believe that every thought vibration has power. We're putting out words and visuals in our minds. We're imagining the world that we want to see. We're honor to those who have done things that we didn't know about or were part of our own path in some way. And I just believe that prayers are just spoken messages of hope and they manifest. Harriet always said every prayer she would say would get answered. So in that spirit, I hope that all of the prayers throughout the book are answers. And if thousands of people are saying them, I believe that has great benefit to the whole collective, but the our human family when mm-hmm. we have people wanting to bring forgiveness, reconciliation, mm-hmm. and peace and love to this situation that we find ourselves in, and even to the historical wound that's so active, any energy that we can put towards that, we are metabolizing something. So it's mm-hmm. prayers are powerful. They're spoken manifestations of thought vibration, and they can come to life at any moment. So I'm, I'm a mm-hmm. big believer in that. 
Me too. And also by now, we see also prayer combined with the power of intention. We actually have research right that right now out there that kind of that there's a measurable frequency of the power of intention that lasts for several days. So it's really all encompassing. And I want to talk about something that you mentioned earlier. So you, you mentioned it that you called it the port, 2020 was the portal of compassion. I, I love that. And I wanted to pick your brain a little bit and your thoughts about empathy and compassion. So I am, so just to give you a little, I'm teaching and I'm doing my research here in the humanities at Brown University. And I have the honor of being taught by some amazing scholars of Black feminism and critical race theory. Something I sometimes stumble upon with this, with also my background in my spiritual journey and the spiritual teachings I have come to integrate and the Buddhist meditation practices and all of these teachings, compassion is of essential importance. And however, in critical race theory, there is a little bit of, of a rejection of the concept, quote unquote, of compassion. And I totally understand why, because, you know, it's used and abused also often by white people, scholars, historians to kind of bypass the discomfort, holding space for that pain and whitewashing, basically, you could call it. And there's also a justified claim that says a white person can never emphasize with the daily experience of a black person that is racially profiled and looked at every day. And that was born with the DNA, with the ancestral burden of the transatlantic slave trade of people whose humanity didn't matter for 400 years and more. And all the ways it's systematically still so embedded in how this country functions on the micro and macro level. So all of this. And I wonder like what we do with this concept of compassion, basically. And maybe it's about being okay with the paradox of compassion, both being essential and impossible. But I would love to hear your thoughts on that, your thoughts on compassion spring. Yeah, well, okay. So I think I look at it very differently. I can see all sides of the argument and I can see where the compassion can be used in an unskillful way. Like have compassion for all the white people who are slave owners. They didn't know, or yeah, I can understand all of that. But I think one of the problems, and that's why I call myself a spiritual abolitionist, one of the problems is as we go into the history, you know, and we start to look at the devastation of this and the, the crime is it. It's a crime that no one was ever held accountable for. That's why it lingers in the consciousness. It lingers and at any moment it picks up and it's, a, it's still alive in our bodies. Black body people, white body people, it's still alive, these energies. So when we go about the deep work of healing, and that's what I'm interested in, what is the way to heal it? Is that in order to be with pain, there has to be compassion there. In order to face this, there has mm -hmm. to be, the only response is compassion. What other is to hold the wound, is to hold it, you know? So this is the place where we have to move to. I'm not saying forgiveness has to be first on the list, but for anybody to open to this, and like I write about being on retreat, my healing retreats in South America where people who are African-American ancestry, many, almost all of them, end up being back on a slave ship, reliving the trauma of being on a slave ship. So what am I doing to help them in that moment? Holding them, loving them. Sometimes they're going into hysteria mixed with screams and terror. And you know, this is something Lama Rod experienced. He's talked about publicly going back on at his first retreat with me. It was an unbearable amount of pain. So what is the response to it? 
here we are, you know, reliving this and we're in also we're in the present and my whole way of healing it is to be a witness, to be a loving, compassionate force in this moment, to hold their hand and let them release that out of the system. That's my job as a healer. And so this is the level that we're talking about is when you get down to that wound on any level, whoever you are. And of course, none of us can know what it's like to be another person. I can't <laughs> know what it's like to be an Iranian woman right now who can't take off her burqa or her veil and had hundreds of years of a, I, we, none of us can know that, but we can know suffering and we could know how to be with it. And sometimes it's unfathomable to us what it is, but if we see pain, the only way to respond is through compassion. Mm -hmm. that's, yeah. You know, so that's where I stand at. It's like at the end of the day, yes. how do we heal it? And all of these factors have truth in them. The, the side, the critical race theory that says no, this side that says yes, this side that's bypassing. But at the end of the day, we're trying to heal something, you know? Yes. This is like, there's so much packed in this answer. I'm so grateful for this response. And I think it's exactly that. I think it's like, without wanting to be redundant or repeating, I think this is a really essential answer. And it's not about quick forgiveness or no. expecting forgiveness or expecting quick healing or whatever it is, you know? I think it's the whole spectrum that goes into, into this. And that's part and where compassion is part of every step of that way of that journey however, however long it may take and forgiveness yeah. can't come unless there's a real sense of compassion mm -hmm. when you when somebody when you're in a difficult moment if the person can't hear you you just go around and around the moment you have that compassionate presence the spinning stops mm -hmm. but it has to be real yes <laughs> you know so yes that's the problem it's yes like not compassion, not as compassion. <laughs> yes Compassion, yeah. not as a bypass, but as the practice of radical presence. So yeah, we will be right back. We'll just have to go into a short break and we'll be right back with this amazing conversation in just a couple of minutes. Please be right back with us. Welcome back to today's episode of the High Energy Health Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure to talk to Spring Washam about her newest book, Spring. There is to pick up on what we just talked about with compassion, but also which comes with this task. We talked about the task that you were given. And I was wondering about how this happened to actually to Ms. Hopman, because there was also this moment of I think you used the word awakening, and this feels like such an important passage that you describe as to how she began embodying the Moses, the prophet, the Bodhisattva, really her true nature. Can you speak about this time, this episode in Miss Topman's life? Well, I think the awakening really starts when I tell the story in chapter four. So Harriet mm -hmm. has this incident. I, do, I think this was connected to her awakening, but she has this very painful experience where she goes to the store on behalf of the master or whatever to pick up some items at this store. And then she sees a runaway slave run into the store being chased with an overseer who 
you know, managed the slave area with a whip and, you know, he was going to beat him with the whip and he screamed at her to hold him down so he could beat him. And she absolutely refused. And then he picks up a weight and uh, some kind of measuring weight, something, and he was trying to hit the man, but he hits her and she almost died. She doesn't really know how she survived. They just put her on the floor in her cabin and she was going in and out of consciousness. She had a very serious brain injury, but that I think was the beginning of a process where she started being able to journey with the spirit world. And for days she went in and out of consciousness and then, but in her experience on the outer level, everyone thought she was in a death process. On the internal level, she was with angels and God and having clairvoyant visions of her life, her future, who she really was, that she wasn't just a slave. I think she was remembering her task, her life, her her vision. So that was when she was maybe only between 12 and 14, somewhere in there. So her energy, her connection to spirit just grew every day it's just this power and she after that incident she had narcolepsy she had seizures migraines and when she would fall into these sleep states upon awakening she always had these incredible visions of everything the war the slavery ending freedom her own future farm and everyone just thought you are a crazy woman who got hit on that <laughs> And so her connection to her power, I mean, you have to think about this, you know, a black slave woman being born, they were the lowest value of anything that existed in the culture. You know, animals had better conditions than them, actually. They treated mm -hmm. horses better than they treated the people. Mm -hmm. So for her to remember that she's this powerful spirit and you know, she's not the lives is just like her ability to break out of the prison of the mind and to know who she was. I mean, pretty phenomenal. And I think she just, as she grew over time, her power deepened at first running away, mm -hmm. then becoming her first mission on the underground, saving her niece, more power than 10 years. So by the time she got to the Civil War, she was just a warrior, supernatural warrior at that point. You know, I mean, everything was honing, you know, everything was like sharpening her abilities and her clairvoyance and her power. I mean, she was very much like a panther. She definitely described herself as having the senses of a panther seeing, hearing, being able happening around you. Yeah, you describe her as, as such too. And also her then like as a panther also, you know, the need with the Underground Railroad to sometimes embrace this vicious quality as well to kind of keep people together and keep the secret of the Underground Railroad safe. And and also do you describe how she became that Black Panther to yeah, you? Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, panthers are nocturnal, right? So they're all night. So her missions, most of their activity was through the night. So she had to run and listen and make sure are they being chased. Are they going the right way? Where's the safe house? There was sounds, there was signals, you know, there was, you know, conducting these groups was dangerous business. It was life and death. And also the thing about Harriet too, is she says that she appeared almost like in the Buddhist tradition, we have benevolent, you know, deities like Kuan Yin. Everyone sees it's like sweet. And then we have wrathful. That's like Mahakala, Kali, yeah. you know, and they're both yeah. compassion. 
but when Kuan Yin being sugary sweet doesn't get the job, then you call in Mahakala and you're like, yeah, we've got to, but it's coming from compassion. So Harriet said she appeared, even when people see images of Harriet now, it's fierce looking, right? People go, oh my God, (laughs) that's like, and she said, I needed to have that. I needed to appear as that the wrathful form because of so much danger that, you know, that's, but inside she always said I was just like a gentle mama with her cubs, but outside I had to have a gun and pull it out and make threats to get the job done out of compassion. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I thought when I saw images first of her. I mean, there was this Mahakali kind of Durga quality that was, yeah, just this ferocious, fierceness, which is really incredible. And by the way, I just want to just aside mention that the cover illustration of this book is just so beautiful. And so I think it's by an, a Peruvian artist, Lopesang mm-hmm. Melendez Huanari. Um, so I just want to mention that this is an exceptionally beautiful illustration of Miss Tupman and for your book here. Speaking about that power, you write, this book is dedicated to all the abolitionists, freedom fighters, and supporters of the Underground Railroad. It's also dedicated to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., one of the greatest conductors in the universe. And in one of the chapters, is actually called Harriet the Conductor, where you write about, and we'll follow up on this after the break, where you write about the first time after Miss Tupman had escaped to Philadelphia, she and the Underground Railroad helped family members, her niece actually escaped with her two children before being sold. And you also described the Underground Railroad. I would very much after the break like to talk about the word conductor and the meaning of that in this context, if that's okay with you. Yes, love that. Yeah. So we will be going in our last short little break and we'll be right back with the conversation. Thank you. Welcome back to today's episode of the High Energy Health Podcast. And as Spring Washam and I were just talking about the word conductor and um, Ms. Tubman referred to herself as a conductor. You referred to Dr. Martin Luther King as a conductor, to Ms. Tubman as a conductor, and then Ms. Tubman refers to you as a conductor. Let's talk about this, this word. Yeah, this word is so powerful. So throughout the whole book, Harriet was so reverenced for Martin Luther King. You know, he appeared not that long after she died, he was born. And she said they were in the same lineage and that, you know, her mission was to come down. And I write about this in chapter seven and chapter eight, that her mission was to come down and get slavery abolished. Dr. King then took up the mission of ending segregation. And the reason she said he's the most powerful conductor that ever lived is that in about less than around 14 years, he dismantled the entire institution of segregation in America, like single handedly. And then he was done after the bill was signed, after the laws changed. That was the end of his task here. You know, he came down just to end that. So when we talk about conduction or conductors, we're talking about spiritual leadership, moving consciousness in the direction of freedom, steering the train to freedom, 
not to a hell realm, like a lot of these leaders are trying to steer their ship, their countries into suffering and greed and hatred and oppression, but to bring it to equality and real democracy and and, and human rights. So, so that's why she said Dr. King was the greatest conductor because of his legacy of how he moved in that period of time, conducted that social movement along with millions of other people yes but he was the con he steered the train he was a piece of that a very important pivotal piece and mm -hmm. so compared to them i'm a baby preschool <laughs> obviously this is gonna be you well, know we don't know we don't know that yet spring we don't know <laughs> well i just bow down i bow down in reverence i bow down in gratitude for all these conductors and nelson mandela she said was another conductor dalai lama is a great conductor there's so many beings that are have these missions and what they are doing is i see them as steering the train they're like conducting they're driving where are we driving our family where are we driving our communities where are we telling them freedom is where are we pointing to where are we shaping them so to be a great conductor is like a symphony you know you're conducting music you're conducting freedom and it could be so glorious if it's in the right hands you know so this is so for that word conductor it meant a lot to harriet i think mm -hmm. this word and how she described Martin Luther King. And then I saw it, you know, he, he didn't, he, he was only preaching, you know, at 24, 25, he did, he step into power and he was gone at 39 for that period of time. He did so much for this universe, actually the consciousness yes. of planetary, yes. right? That's the greatest. That's why she said he's the greatest conductor in the universe because he was able to do it in 15 years or less, you know? Yeah. yeah. Records. Incredible, just incredible. In, incredible. What I want to touch upon is that you, and that's kind of like what the end of the book leads towards is kind of like an intention to release not just the outer abolition, but the, or to practice not just the outer abolition, but the inner abolition. And I think that kind of like ties also to what is, what is activism in a spiritual and mindful context also with this i think these two things kind of tie together i was wondering if you would want to talk about that yeah. i mean this is going to be so much of my work in the future is this spiritual mm -hmm. abolitionism because without spirit the work you know martin luther king was deeply spiritual this was a minister this was someone who followed the teachings of jesus of nazareth he tried to live them he tried to embody the love in his heart and that's how shifts happen it's very hard to fight against this system we have right now of white supremacy with going with a gun in your hand and a baseball bat and thinking you're going to make the changes that you want to see it's a hard long road because whoa you're gonna get a fight back you know we see this this is real people die over this their belief systems here so the spiritual part is understanding like, what do we want to see? Dr. King's speeches were always what he wanted to see. Little girls, little boys together, a future generation, all children together. He's seen the mountaintop. He's seen that this could happen. It wasn't, you know, and we were moving in a period where we have to think about ways that are skillful and effective when we talk about abolishing something. You know, what are we seeking? We're seeking to ultimately abolish greed, hatred, and delusion, which was behind the slave trade and racism. 
So I think we have to think about ourselves as a spiritual being in a, in a movement of shifting consciousness. It's not just about the laws. We'll recreate those. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you get recreate. They're being recreated now. There's all kinds of old stuff happening that we didn't see since the 80s. It's back. Yeah. Redlining and voter suppression. So this mm-hmm. isn't so the minds and the hearts of the people. So the new activism to me, I appreciate all those on the front lines working. Their work is important. And I think the broader movement has to be this movement of the heart, which is the hardest to do. You know, because it takes everybody looking inside and moving and operating from a much more spiritually focused direction of using universal consciousness and principles. Mm -hmm. This is the new movement. You you need the spirit world with you. We need the universe to help us with this. This is Mm -hmm. no, this is too big of it. This is too hard for any one person and to fight it out with, you know, sticks and stones isn't going to work. In exactly, it's too hard. Yet again, it starts within that single person. It starts within each and every one of one of us. It starts within that inner liberation for yeah. all of us. That's such an important reminder. Spring before I ask you the the last question, I just want to point out to our audience: please find Spring's work, springwashem.com, all her events, all her retreats. You can find on there. Buy her book, read her book, The Spirit of Harriet Tubman Awakening from the Underground, Hay House Publication, brand new, really like, and I can just speak from my heart. It's just an incredible journey, an incredible piece of heart that's off. So I would, I would really encourage everyone to, to get this book and also not just read the book, but also like coming out. I did not grow up in US history. As you can hear, I have an accent. I come from Europe. I did not, I, I was not aware of like the, you know, I I grew up in a post-Holocaust country. So that was part of that work out there. But the slave trade is a whole other story because again, as you said, it's not been worked through. It's not been acknowledged. And it's a 400 year old systemic industry, which is just breathtaking. So I, but I encourage everyone to just educate yourself along the way. And, and I did so as well, kind of just reading the book and reading up on certain things that I hadn't, didn't have an awareness of. So spring, as we wrap up, can you just briefly say, what is the promised land? A state of mind, you know, Mm -hmm. where our hearts are liberated and we Mm -hmm. understand who we are, that we are light, we're spirit, you know? Mm -hmm. That is it. That's the, the mm-hmm. grand revealing. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Spring, I am I was so honored. It was such a blessing to have you, to have the chance to be here with you, to share this space with you, this conversation with you. Thank you so much for coming to this show. Thank you. I feel your heart and I uh, it, it feels so special to be here with you. Thank you so much. Thank you to our audience for tuning in with us today and we will be back with you next week at the same time. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.